0: Here we are, uh, back with episode three of the podcast of Ethical Writing, and you have two of the hosts. Steve Pett had soccer today.
1: Which is a very Steve Pett thing to do. It's a
0: very Steve Pet thing soccer. to
1: do. To have soccer, so we're, that's fine.
0: Anyway, so you have me, Katrina, as your host, and...
1: And I'm Lance. I'm here in Katrina's apartment right now.
0: <gasps> it's my new apartment! <laughs> I just moved in, it's very, and by just I mean six weeks ago I moved in, but...
1: That's not long ago in apartment terms, you it's know? Not. It's not. We moved in two weeks ago, and I feel like, well, we're never going to move in.
0: But you have an apartment. Wait, we have an apartment. Lance, tell our readers, people. Readership.
1: <laughs> listenership?
0: Our listenership. Tell us, tell the viewers at home where you live now.
1: Well, uh, I live in Los Angeles now, and not just Los Angeles, the the heart of Los Angeles. Uh, My what wife,
0: counts as the heart of Los Angeles? We are...
1: Darn close to downtown. We're right, right in uh, the Exposition Park, University Park area. Megan, my wife, took a job at USC, and so we're we're in LA now.
0: Wait, it's the University of Southern California. Uh, Southern California. California. Aha! Yes. Yep. Yeah, I put those initials together just by myself. That's that's okay.
1: It. You could have said University of Los Angeles, and you would have had a whole bunch of Trojans of uh, USC fans mad at you for saying that. Do
0: we think our listenership has a lot of US, of university of los angeles
1: well they they are now i don't know
0: (laughs) now that we've mentioned now that we've mentioned it i'm
1: sure they'll come up in a tag somewhere
0: (laughs) okay so you've been in la you but you moved like
1: we moved weeks ago. we moved uh beginning of september megan finished her phd in august we spent my my birthday packing
0: Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. But you're older than Jesus now. Congratulations, I'm older. Lance. I
1: made it longer on this earth than Jesus did. That's an accomplishment. That's, that's worth something. I know.
0: Now all you have to do is start a major religion and save the world.
1: I don't know if that's going to happen. Would, it, would you settle for a minor religion
0: somewhere? Mm, I suppose.
1: In the millions? But the would important part okay? is that you
0: save the world. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure. Starting a new minor religion can do that, but that that's It grows. A, it, it, it grows. grows. Ab-
0: Christianity started as an obscure sect of, Ju- of Judaism, didn't yep. it? I feel like that's a thing.
1: And one, like one, one Gentile. There was Luke, and that was it, and that's right. what it began. Yeah. Then the Romans got a hold of it.
0: So but what we, you need is a Saint Paul to write a lot of letters.
1: Well, I could do the um, the Muhammad thing and just say I'm the prophet.
0: Oh yeah. I could right. do that
1: too. There are several different routes to starting your religion.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: there's the Elron Hubbard way where I just oh, yeah. I just throw up my hands in disgust at writing sci-fi and say it's a, it's a religion now. We're going to talk about, <laughs> about Zemu.
0: But everyone gets their own planet. Yeah? No, uh, Yes. I, I
1: think you're thinking of Mormonism?
0: Yeah, I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: We can add that to the list of people we've pissed off already in this podcast.
0: Oh, Same. and look at the, let's see, how long have we been recording? Well,
1: we haven't been recording five minutes yet.
0: Yeah, no. We have so much to accomplish.
1: <laughs> so many so... people to offend. <laughs>
0: Anyway, by now I'm sure you're wondering, if there's no guest and Steve Pett's not there, <laughs> what is the point? Well, I, in my infinite wisdom as founder of this podcast, decided that maybe you guys should get to know your hosts a little bit better. And I feel like Lance has a fascinating life story that is far more fascinating than mine, also because I'm not living his So, I don't actually know what's going on in Lance's life. Oh, the
1: bar is set really high. I'm going to have to really try and make this super interesting.
0: Um, Well, you are very interesting. You just went to a conference.
1: I did. I just got back from uh, the Examined Life conference, which is why I'm back in the Midwest now in northern South. What is this conference? The Examined Life conference, uh, this is the 11th year. This is my first year. Uh, My friend and mentor, Dr. David Thilly, has been going for seven or eight years now.
0: so your friend and mentor—that's from Ithaca.
1: Uh, actually, my uh, friend and mentor, Dr. David Thulley, uh is from Advocate uh, Children's Hospital. So I enjoy I got, that
0: you can only call him your my friend, friend and mentor, and Dr. Dr. David Foley.
1: I just made that up just now that I'm only calling him that. So, <laughs> it, you're right that it's weird because I I also have a mentor from Cornell who is my my mentor and teacher in the theater department at Cornell, and his uh, his name was Dr. David Feldshuh, both well, practicing yeah. medical doctors. So. Oh. All of my mentors have to be physicians named David. That's a rule. That's, yeah. That's a thing. That's yeah. when
0: you Google for mentors. You're like, mentor Dr. <laughs> Dr. David David. David <laughs> and I just see what
1: comes up. And if, and if somebody's not on that list, I don't pick them as a no. mentor. No.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. good to have... I'm I'm making a gesture of lines with my hands. Two,
1: two parallel lines. Two
0: parallel lines.
1: Pera- it's good to have
0: boundaries.
1: Boundaries, Boundaries,
0: right. maybe? Parameters. Parameters. It's good to know what you want.
1: You can you can do that gesture at home. The sort of <laughs> do the touchdown gesture, but then bring it down right in front of your body, and that's what she's doing. So that's what I have. Okay. Only only MDs named David can be my mentor. So, okay.
0: So Dr. David Tholey, your yes, friend and mentor. Yes, my friend
1: and mentor, Dr. David Tholey. Started
0: the exam and life conference.
1: Uh, he didn't. Um, his story, and he you know he tells it better than I do. He. Um, so a physician. He became a physician because he really loves people, wants to help people. He became a um, pediatric cardiologist. Just a very sweet man. Loves kids. Loves people. Yeah. Um, and in med school, to hear him tell it, you know, people are mean and competitive. And um, he wanted to write a book on childhood obesity, and so he decided to um, beef up his writing skills a little bit. And he he took a he took a writing class. Um, I'm thinking it was from um, Story Studio here in Chicago, which is mm-hmm. a terrific group. Um, and he got really interested in sort of writing as a, uh, I don't want to say therapeutic, but writing as a reflection on medicine because doctors were around death all the time, especially as somebody who's around you know, the death of children a mm-hmm. lot. Um, he got really interested in writing about his own experiences and telling the stories of his patient and him as he practices um, practicing pediatrics and he discovered this conference Examine Life which is a conference for the medical humanities it's co-hosted by the University of Iowa What's well, hosted by the University of Iowa College uh, College of Medicine and the University of Iowa is famous for the Iowa Writers Workshop and a lot of very famous writers have been through been through Iowa um, uh, so most of the conference is focused on uh, writing in medicine there were some terrific speakers uh, who are either physicians who have written medical memoirs or there was one journalist and author who's written about his own uh his own experiences the keynote speaker was a uh, practicing physician from harvard and i'm sorry i don't have the name in front of me right now um, i mean
0: we already know he's i assume it's a he
1: Yes, an established
0: it is. person because he's a practicing physician at Harvard.
1: He is. He uh, he has a practice, a general, uh, he's a general practitioner in uh, I'm not sure where Massachusetts, but he uh, teaches at Harvard. And he's a published poet, uh, so very interesting to hear him talk about his uh, his practice and writing his reflections on his patients. Um, I met uh, my friend and mentor, Doctor. David Tholey, because I was I'm was really interested in this idea of, of narrative medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so storytelling, um, most of the most of the focus is on writing, um, but there are I mean there are different people doing different things with narrative medicine. And so I, I met him through some people. Narrative that I knew. medicine
0: being telling the stories of people you meet practicing medicine, or narrative medicine being like, I don't know, telling the story of a diagnosis.
1: Narrative Medicine is, um, depending on who you ask, it's been around for a few decades. It really kind of picked up steam when somebody named Rita Sharon wrote a book in, I think, 2006 called Narrative Medicine. I think the book is called Narrative Medicine, Honoring the Stories of Illness. Um, And she describes the idea of narrative competency, so understanding um, how stories are told, how to tell a story, and understanding... Um, the needs of a patient and the patient as a human being and a patient story not just um, from a clinical perspective but from a human perspective there's been a lot of push um, and especially with computers and just the availability of data uh, for what's called ebm evidence-based medicine and so there's been I, I don't want to call it a counter push but there's been a push um, alongside evidence-based medicine and using you know large populations of data and you know statistics and probability to predict and treat illnesses, which is valuable and good, there's been a uh, push kind of parallel to that to um, you know, put the patient back at the center of medicine and put the patient in the center of medicine in a way uh, that honors them as a person that has their own stories to tell and that isn't necessarily. <laughs> just one more data point because Mm -hmm. i mean most anybody who's been to the doctor will tell you i mean mean, any number of doctors will tell you that at some point you know you're just another blip Mm -hmm. on the radar you're just another data point on a chart so really trying to understand uh the practice of medicine and the practice of healing and being healed as a narrative process as Mm -hmm. well so uh and i've talked with colleagues who do medical humanities a lot and rita sharon uh if i'm remembering correctly has a background in literature and i hope mm-hmm. i'm not I hope i'm not speaking lies ab- about her but um a lot I'm of th-
0: nodding and saying mm-hmm, as if i know who this person oh, is that's okay
1: I I, I I remember her being kind of remote from, from a literary background and a lot of the focus on on narrative medicine um is literary so writing about your experiences as a physician as a patient um it's a lot of activities, and Rita Sharon actually teaches at Columbia. Uh, you can get a master's in narrative medicine if oh. you would like, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, and most of the stuff I've seen um, from what's called narrative medicine is heavily focused on writing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are interesting things. Uh, she calls it a parallel chart. So you have the, the medical chart with data and symptoms and that sort of clinical uh, stuff parallel to that. Uh, she recommends that her students write um, a, a narrative of how they're feeling, I mean, them as the person practicing medicine, um, the narrative of the patient coming in for healing, that kind of thing. Um, and it was it was good to attend this conference this year because uh, all along, I'm talking to people who are working with medical students, people that are practicing, medicine and training people to practice medicine two big questions always come up uh, number one uh, is who has the time mm-hmm. to write because i mean doctors as everybody who's ever been to a doctor's office know they're hurried people they're sort of you know in and out there's an old saw that um and doctors have one eye on the patient one eye on the clock mm-hmm. and in the 21st century uh doctors have one eye on the clock one eye on the patient and somehow they have a third eye on the computer they're having to type in so that's know it's it's a lot to do Um, you know that's one big question is who has a time to you know stop reflect write, um, you know get patients involved in narrative and writing and the other question uh, which came up actually came up in the the keynote conversation in uh, in the examine life conference is so um, the person who questioned the keynote speaker asked it more politely than this but they said okay so you write poems you know how do you how do you get that back in your pack practice how do you take the poetry and um and what do you what do you do with it basically because the poems are wonderful and i i should have the name of the, of the keynote speaker I, I don't um but the wonderful poems um but and he was asked you know how did, how does that reflect in your practice I mean do you read poetry with your patients and he he said, "Well, I certainly never prescribe my own poems for patients to read and not get a laugh from the room." Um, mm-hmm. um, but that was the, kind of the big questions: is okay, we can understand, you know, the human experience, one way or the other, as you know, an experience of suffering, and everybody, everybody will experience some kind of suffering sometime in their life, and we can understand that in a literary way. But how does that inform the practice of? medicine and so i was i was glad to hear those questions brought up because my the reason i was there and yes so katrina's been kind enough to google it for rafael campo is the name of the of the doctor poet who is there presenting um now the reason i was there is that my my background the last um five six years since 2010 so i guess it's seven years now i've been trying to figure out ways to use storytelling as a technique and as a structure with professionals and so mm-hmm. i've done some work for not-for-profits and i've done some work um with entrepreneurs and some different artists uh to develop elevator pitches and things like that and all the wrong, and the big question people would ask me is so you know who who do you want to work with storytelling on and i had to kind of shrug and say i i don't know and finally i don't even remember who it was somebody said well, why don't you start in talking to doctors about this? You got really sick in 2011, right? And I initially thought, no, nobody is ever going to want to talk to me. I mean, no doctors ever going to want to talk to me about storytelling in medical practice. And I was so happy to find out that this is a thing mm-hmm. that already exists. Um, so I started looking for people in, in narrative medicine and started asking people, you know, who do you know? I mean, who who can I talk to? How would I figure out how this is useful to people practicing? And I eventually... Um, met people in uh, Advocate Children's and Advocate Lutheran which kind of attached in the same building which is how I got in touch with my friend and mentor Dr. David Tholey um, who's been going to this conference and so my the entire point of my, my presentation at Examined Life was okay we understand that writing stories, we understand that telling stories are useful for people that practice and are learning to be doctors and who are patients Um, and, you know, given those big questions of A, who has the time and B, how does that actually inform, you know, the actual experience, um, of a, of a doctor and a patient talking, my answer to that was to bring in the structural work that I've been doing with, um, entrepreneurs and elevator pitches and, um, uh, Not-for-profits when they're talking with clients and things like that is that storytelling is a structure. It's a way of structuring information that the brain processes the best. So if you're a patient talking to a doctor, if you're a doctor talking to a patient or a nurse or even an administrator, there's a certain structure that you, that you can use to, to talk to people that will help them uh, understand. I mean, the, the root problems, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to solve, and stories and storytelling structure can do that in a way uh, that other forms of communication can't. I mean, the one of the big ideas is that no major world religion, going back to starting, you know, starting our own world religion uh, to bring about world peace, no major world religion has as its you know holy text a bullet point mm-hmm. list. I mean, it's always it's stories. Jesus spoke in parables and you know, other. I mean, other religious figures speak in stories because that's uh, something special about the way that our brain handles information like that. And I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've got all kinds of, um, you know, evidence in my pocket when I need to about the uh, neurology and the psychology and even the endocrinology of storytelling. There's a lot of evidence that storytelling actually starts messing with our cortisol and our oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Levels, um, so stories are different, and that's that was the entire point about me going to the to the Examine life conference to sort of figure out how people are using storytelling. And I was correct that most people understand it, especially in the context of narrative medicine in a literary way. I'm really interested in what you can do with storytelling in a context of okay, you and I are now face to face. Let's see what we you know I mean, how do I communicate with you? How do I best present? my concerns even my you know my symptoms i mean as somebody who spent a lot of time around doctors being a patient myself um how do you know how does a doctor present um uh how does a doctor present to me what it's going to be like to be on a certain medication i mean Mm -hmm. once you know once the diagnosis is made what's going to happen from here on out and i i feel like it's a lot it's a lot like um well, like a comedian going through a breakup, like it's all it's all material. Like when I go to a doctor's
0: office, <laughs> um,
1: I I got uh, sick with shingles uh, the beginning of August. That's right. Yeah, who gets shingles as a as a thirty? How old am I? Is a thirty three oh, older year old. than
0: Jesus? We just talked so thirty
1: four now. I was thirty three when I got shingles. Um, right. The answer is more more youngish people than you think. I mean, that was the first thing I think my Wait, dad isn't shingles
0: said. the bypass? Isn't it the byproduct of chicken pox? Yes,
1: it's the chicken pox rearing its right. ugly ch- chick- chicken again. Because I always
0: confuse shingles with scurvy.
1: Oh, and right. So
0: I just assume that you're not eating enough.
1: Scurvy would have been cool because I could have worn an eye patch and <laughs> gone around saying scurvy and things like that. But no, shingles. Shingles sucks. I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um. Uh, so I got. <laughs> I got shingles, which um, really messed with the move. I mean, my wife was finishing her PhD, so she didn't really have a lot of time mm-hmm. to commit to you know, figuring out the details of moving. And that was going to be all my responsibility, which I was happy to do. But then I got shingles, and so Megan had to take care of a PhD thesis and defense and me on the couch clamoring for more orange juice. So, <laughs> um, so that, that kind of upended our ideas about having a nice, smooth move. Uh, to la but anyway um and i even even you know as someone who uh thinks of myself as a communicator and you know i'm really being really good at telling a story and asking questions and somebody who's been in you know quite a few doctors office is as you know somebody who has a, a chronic illness um crohn's disease uh i was surprised How I was so happy when the doctor said, you know, you have shingles. You have kind of a textbook case of shingles. I was like, oh, it's not some weird, bizarre flesh-eating bacteria. They don't know what it is. It's going to eat me alive. I was just so happy. Like, oh, thank you. It's okay. This is something, you know, I've heard of this. This is not some weird thing. We're not going to have to go through years of tests to figure it out. I was just so happy uh, that when they gave me a prescription, said, you know, you have a chronic illness. We're going to put you on a pretty heavy dose of antivirals for a while, and you know, take Tylenol for the pain. And you know, I, I don't think I had many follow-up questions when, <laughs> leaving um, leaving that doctor's office. Uh, now, um, the Lance who's had shingles know that I should have had a few questions. Like, okay, you're saying you're saying Tylenol for the pain kind of pain are we talking about because shingles sucks it was so painful and if um, if I had known I would have said so antivirals and pain medications is you know, is the pain medication going to be enough I would have I would have liked you know I mean to put it bluntly I would have liked the story of what it's going to be like to have shingles and recover from shingles that mm-hmm. these are painful and you know they're they're kind of big blisters that show up it's kind of the chicken pox on steroid and I had it on my left side and so I was my back and on my left side, okay. so I was sleeping on my right side when I, you know, I normally don't sleep on my side, and so all this, all this stuff that I didn't anticipate, and so like I,
0: you say, it's painful, and because it's shingles, I keep thinking of shin splints or like bone <laughs> pain. Our our mutual friend uh, has breast cancer, mm-hmm. and she, one of the, they warned her about bone pain when she went through chemo, mm-hmm. but she didn't. Again. Didn't really you know what that meant until you go right. through it, and unfortunately, bone pain is not something that you can take anything for. Sure. There is nothing you can do to soothe it because it's it's not muscle. It's a bone. It's like yeah. you can't massage it. It's literally your bone <laughs> right. is just painful. And so I'm wondering what it like shingles. You said you wanted to know more what it's about, but can can you tell me what is the pain? Is it?
1: Um. It.
0: Is it like when I sprained my ankle and I it was just like a weird throb.
1: Um, it started out as I thought. Um, like I thought we got a new mattress, and I thought that it was just some kind of weird allergic reaction to the mattress. And I was like, "Oh no, we got a new mattress, and I'm allergic." It started as just sort of uh, it started as a kind of achy. Like I thought I had the flu, Mm -hmm. maybe, but I didn't have a fever, and so that didn't that didn't make any sense to me. And it, um, I sometimes I'm told it can be sort of it can burn and sometimes it burned and sometimes it was real sharp um but it just it hurt and i'm trying i'm sitting here trying to. like where it well um um i can tell you about my case mine started at my spine Mm -hmm. you know the the center of my back and then it went around my left hand side and the doctor describing it say it says yeah your nerves kind of go they go around they travel around your Body and you know nerves don't go past the center line of your chest. So I mean, I had um, this blistery rash from the middle of my back around uh, under my chest, and it stopped at my breastbone. There was a big kind of patch right in the middle of my my chest. Um, so I, I, I didn't figure out that I should go to the doctor. Uh, I thought you know I have a cold i have a fever i I don't have or i had a i thought i had a um yeah i thought i had some kind of flu but i didn't have the fever and so finally my you know back kept aching and finally i just took off my shirt in front of my wife and i said is there anything on my back and she said you mean that and i looked down and there were this big kind of it's gross it's these big pussy blisters Ew. over a, over a red rash it's not it's not pleasant and I was like well that wasn't there when I showered this morning so we we made a, a doctor's appointment for the next morning so it's um it's, it's just painful it didn't burn it was just this constant severe ache I mean not not like a muscle pain it's just sort of I mean gently throbbing or even mm-hmm. is I, I don't remember it throbbing at all it was just this constant ache yeah yeah
0: it's like your body is like pay attention to me
1: pretty much yeah yelling yelling and screaming for me to pay attention yeah 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 so i you know i we eventually went back to the doctors and said you know i'm in i'm in a lot of pain i can't sleep um you know can i have something stronger for the pain And they're like oh yeah sure so (laughs) i you know i I, I would have liked a little bit more from the doctors of here's, mm-hmm. you know, here's what it's like, here's what the average person experiences, because um, it sounds like, I mean, I have a pretty textbook case. I mean, the, the nurse who took my symptoms initially, actually on the way out the door uh, before the doctor came in said, have you ever had shingles? And I said, no. And so I, you know, that was sort of a little foreshadowing of, you know, the nurse knew, mm-hmm. or, I mean, any medical professional, I'm sure, could just glance at what I had and say, oh, yeah, that's textbook shingles. so. Right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, looking back on it, um, you know, and that's, that's sort of the way that people think of doctors. You get to a doctor and the doctor looks at you and says, well, that's X, here's a pill. And you say, oh, I'm so glad you know what it is. Thank you for the pill. And you, you know, you go on your Mm -hmm. merry way, um, especially as somebody who manages a chronic illness and, you know, people that have more serious life-threatening things, um, you know, the there's been a lot of talk of um, a shift from kind of a benevolent paternalism of that. You know, you go to the doctor, doctor writes you a pill, you say thank you, that'll that'll be all, and you go home. Uh, switch from that to what people call being a medical consumer. Mm-hmm. To I mean, to you know, to manage your own care. And the the word consumer, when it comes to you know something a life or death matter like healthcare, is a little problematic. But that's that's you know that's a topic for yeah another day but mean being you know being a participant in in your own care and i wish that i had the the wherewithal to say you know so tell me what what is this going to be like mm-hmm. now tell me about the antiviral tell me about taking pain i mean taking pain medications i um was a good reminder for me that the story I mean the story doesn't really end that oh you have this disease here here's a pill so mm-hmm. yeah and i i brought that up in my workshop i i handed out um uh page just talking a little bit about the st- the structure of a story uh in in broad detail just to give people you know for lack of a better word a template of you know here's the here's the this, the one the two the three so when you're when you're talking to somebody and you want to use um you know storytelling format to sort of get your ideas out there you can just kind of have those touch points of i you know here's the this here's the this and here's the this and that's you know, the basics of uh story and so on the handout or some little diagrams with some different medical stories that I've noticed um, in my readings and just in my own experience. So sort of talking about how I mean, some patients expect, you know, when you get to the doctor's office, you get a pill mm-hmm. and it's over. Some people get to the doctor's office and the doctor says, we're gonna put you on X medication. And the patient says, well, I'm not taking X medication. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing how many medication or how many prescriptions for medication never even filled because the patient, uh, you know, has this idea of the doctor as this kind of benevolent figure, uh, this authority figure, and a person in a white lab coat, and just does not want to contradict or have a discussion with their doctor of you know, I'm afraid of side effects, or you know, I'm afraid of you know X Y Z if I take this medication. Um, so they just never fill it, <laughs> um, which is kind of amazing. And you know, a few different other kinds of medical narratives just to kind of jump there and start the conversation in the room of different mm-hmm. different things. Uh, that I've noticed that are useful uh, for storytelling in, in a medical encounter.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so you started this business like seven years ago. Have well, you now taken it so that you're focusing solely on narrative medicine?
1: That's the goal. Um, I started trying to figure out. Um, it was around. Uh, it was around 2010 or so that I tried to figure out how to use my theater background. <laughs> for my own and others good because mm-hmm. uh, you as a, as a practicing stage manager you know know that it just it takes a while and you're you are uh, you're equity right mm-hmm. so you're yeah so you're you're in the union and I mean you're from what I know of your work you're in a really great place where you're getting some terrific work I mean you're talking mm-hmm. to people in San Diego and you're getting
0: I'm, I am very very lucky in that I have consistently been employed pretty much since I started stage managing awesome um, and I've been prof- I've been professionally stage managing for 14 years. I've been in the union for 10. It'll be 11 in January. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm very lucky. I still have my dry spots. Like right now, <laughs> it, it's I. It's like right now, I'm unemployed as of March. So if anyone in our listenership needs a stage manager, if anyone
1: knows anybody in
0: March, this is that this is your woman. <laughs> um. But it's that freelance lifestyle. Sure. I I have learned over the last eleven years that work always comes and that <laughs> because I'm I'm employed, I'm actually unemployed for a month now, but that's a little bit because I chose it. Um, yeah. because I'm getting I'm getting surgery on Friday. It's nothing bad, I'm getting LASIK, so I'm gonna be able to wake up and just see.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's
0: terrific. Yeah, you guys are know this. I'm wearing glasses right now. We're both for about, glasses. Lance is also wearing yep. glasses. I wore contacts for 19 years, I think. Relax. Something ridiculous. And they're not soft contacts. These aren't comfortable contacts. <laughs> These are like rigid gas permeable that you have to take out every night and wash and then put back in your eye. And they're super uncomfortable. So like three times a day I'm taking them out just to, I don't know, to fix them. And then put them back in my eye. Um. Anyway, I'm getting lasik. But, That's awesome. So, and I'm like, I have a, I'm unemployed for a month. Why not get surgery? And then like,
1: it's a good time to do it.
0: Yeah, and I also I have a boyfriend now. Hey, listenership, I have a boyfriend now. Yay. I live with him. That's why I moved into our apartment, which has boxes everywhere. Um, you should
1: see mine in LA. Man. Well,
0: this is this is taking some <laughs> Lance We're looking. I you, I wish you could see. I should take a picture. That's what I will do. I will take a picture of our front closet, which Lance hasn't even seen yet and it is a thing of beauty and it should be featured in magazines on home organization that is how proud i am of my front closet
1: this will be the cover photo or it'll the, be the cover photo for this, like for this episode of the podcast how
0: beautiful my front closet is uh, what was i talking about anyway so i have a boyfriend now and he works a 9 to 5 job mm-hmm. and the re- i was like I know I'm unemployed for a month because in mid-November, I go to New York and I work for Santa Claus. Yes. And I'll actually be working two jobs. I got a second job while I'm in New York. So no, west for the, no rest for the weary or the wicked. Um, but then I actually get to spend weekends with my boyfriend. I think that's cool. Which is exciting. Yeah. To the point like last weekend, um, I bring this up partly because I'm obsessed with Open House Chicago, which was just yeah. literally Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's when the Chicago Architecture Foundation opens up 200 locations across the city of Chicago. So you just
1: wander into really amazing places and stuff. Exactly. City. Yeah.
0: And you just get to look at them. And I mentioned this because way back when I met Lance, he wanted to be an architect. Yeah. And now I'm dating an architect. But he got to go to Open House Chicago with his sister and his other architect friend. And I got super jealous because his sister. Has gotten to, like, hang out with him fun times-wise, like, six out of the last ten days. And I live with my boyfriend, and we don't, we, we get to do that, like, once. Because I have a stupid schedule. Anyway, the yeah. point is, sometimes it's nice to be unemployed <laughs> and to hang out with your boyfriend. Yeah. But, oh, right. The original point was that I have learned over the years, as a freelance stage manager, I don't even know, I feel like I'm in lecture mode right now. Like, I'm talking to young stage managers not to give up hope. <laughs> Is that you learn that the work will come. Like, I'm not panicking because I'm, I'm employed for the next four months. Yeah. Four and a half months. And I'm getting a little nervous, but I also know that work will come. Right. And if we hit February and I'm still unemployed, then I'll panic.
1: Yeah, but you've got work from now. From, you've got the next thing on the horizon, I should say. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm employed for the next four, four months. Right. I have three jobs. Taxes are going to be super fun, you guys. I counted it up. I have eight W-2s and a 1099 in five states for 2017.
1: Oh, tax companies must love it when they see you coming.
0: Oh, I just do a TurboTax. I just own the software. But states love me. Also, filing for unemployment. They're like, "Um, can you list your last 18 months of employment? And I'm like, okay, are you ready for these 15 names? And they're like, just the last 18 months, ma'am. And I'm like, we're only at month nine.
1: Attach extra pages if necessary.
0: (laughs) And they're like, uh... Anyway.
1: But I, when the I, point was... When I graduated college, I, um, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to make cool stuff and, and change the world in ways that hopefully didn't involve me having to invent my own religion. Uh, so I...
0: I think this is an important point to mention. Lance, when he graduated college, wanted to change the world. I have a notebook <laughs> on my desk that literally has a piece of paper in it that says, Katrina's Guide to World Domination... And it's like five steps. I I have a plan for world domination. We're gonna have to go.
1: We're gonna have to go through that in detail in, a, in, a, <laughs> in an episode soon. Because <laughs> I don't think I've seen this, but I I want to know a lot more about this.
0: I mean, yeah, world domination. It's mostly involved in like, I want to change the way we fund theater. Is basically what it comes down to. Is how I want to change the world. Wait, but in order to do that, I have to change the society that the theater exists in.
1: Right, and that's the... That's, so that it is appreciated. That's the big step.
0: That's yeah. the big thing. Right. Which means I have to change society. Right. That's hard to do. But you wanted to change the world. I did. I
1: wanted to be. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to change the world. And when I graduated from college, I didn't... I didn't... I didn't understand how to hustle. I didn't understand how to go out and get work for myself. So It's been a... a long slow process of figuring out how to how to how to sell and it's weird because I started out wanting to be a director and I moved to Chicago because it's close to family because Chicago has a great theater scene um I kind of figured out
0: also I lived here no I didn't I lived in New York I
1: could stay at the time I don't think you never lived mind here that was a here. lie
0: I lived in New York at the time <laughs>
1: um yeah and so I moved to Chicago figured out that I didn't have any uh, any business skills um and I figured out through the help of some some friends how to get business skills and then figured out that what it was really all about for me was storytelling and there's could talk a lot about you know growing up with my my dad who was kind of raised by wolves in the middle of nowhere illinois and just hearing the story that he told growing up
0: we have wolves in the middle of illinois no, it's,
1: a, it's a figure of speech oh okay. like my my dad had parents but my dad was the kind of kid who would just take off on friday and say i'll be back for i'll be back for breakfast on sunday
0: i think that's called unschooling these days
1: whatever it's called is i could have used some more of it when i was <laughs> when i was a kid just take off in the woods i mean i was a boy scout but i could have used a little bit more
0: oh yeah i was go like, off and
1: do your own thing technically
0: i'm a while. lifetime girl scout but i did not i did my own thing but i did it in the comfort of a house yeah with a book mostly
1: Right. And I was always really good at school because in school there's a syllabus and you get the assignment back and it's like, oh, there's an A at the end, but Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I graduated from college and it was like, oh, there's no syllabus anymore. What do I, what do I even do with myself? So yeah, for people like us who are very good at school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really different. Um,
0: I remember that's why I never liked, or not that I didn't, I didn't really start hating math until I went to IMSA. Thank you. Um, Mostly because that's when I started failing at it, miserably. (laughs) And it started actually being hard. But I remember being like, I don't know, in junior high, and they're like, well, what's your favorite subject? And I'm like, well, I really like English, because when you read a book, there's an end to the book. But like, when you do math, or when I was in martial arts... There's always more skills yeah. to learn. And it's like, well, what's satisfying about mm-hmm. that? <laughs> you never finish it and move on.
1: And believe it or not, there are people that learn math professionally. Yeah. Who we are those keep, people? Just keep on They going. have
0: PhDs. They've ad- we had teachers at IMSA who, for all I know, are still there. Yes, probably, they are
1: still there. Who have
0: PhDs in math, which yep. means they actually added something they contributed. to math.
1: Took another chip off the block. Yeah. There's like
0: Sir Isaac Newton and Galileo. And Dr. Fogel. <laughs> I am perfectly happy reading my stack of books, and I have a book where I write down what books I read so that I can look back and feel accomplished.
1: You know, I mean, I, I have a list, too, I mean, of books I've read, but you don't feel like there's always more to read?
0: Oh, there's... I have a... I will never read everything that there is to read.
1: Well, right, I'll never probably even read everything that I own <laughs> to read.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> I have an entire, just, extra shelf of, like, books... That I need to, that I own, and hope oh, yeah. I get read. Right. I never will.
1: I was in Iowa City, and the conference ended, and so I stuck around a little bit. And there's a really terrific bookstore in Iowa City uh, called Prairie Lights. Ooh. Yeah, and I was walking around, and I was I, I found a few books. Uh, it was Hannah Arendt's birthday, so I was like, oh, I should get I should get her book on totalitarianism. That's kind of it's be a good book to read right now. Um, and I thought about the one, two, three four books that were in my that were in my briefcase at the time that I'm currently reading and thought you know what uh, I'm gonna go ahead and, and get that book later so yeah
0: yeah, I hear you well but I, to, to your point of yes there's always more to read but I st- like my to-do list keeps growing but I still get that accomplishment of like well that's sure. done well I read that
1: no i i completely get that you get to
0: cross it off the list right
1: and a book is nice too because when you you know you i love physical books i've read you know books on my phone and things but i love i love paper flipping through paper and there's you know there's a sense of accomplishment for you know as you flip through a book you know you can literally visually see oh i don't have much left i'm almost at the end and part of me part of me wishes i i weren't so happy when i see the end coming because it's like shouldn't i just be enjoying the book
0: no, not, there are some books famous. I don't enjoy. <laughs> that I'm reading out of pure stubbornness and obstinacy. I know,
1: when you get to like page 20 or 25, it's like, no, I'm going to finish this book. <laughs> this book is terrible, uh, but I started it and I can't not finish it. I, yeah, uh, yeah. And There
0: are like three books that I've started and not finished on purpose. There are other books I started and didn't finish because I then got distracted and they were not as exciting as what I could have been reading, so that I read the other more exciting thing.
1: Did you not want to finish the book? Like, was it like on oh, the so good? No, 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 no it's so like, good, It's like I've it never end.
0: actually. So, sophomore year English with uh, Professor Cool, uh, I did not read The Odyssey. I also did not finish Walden by Henry David Thoreau, the only two books in my entire school history that I have not actually read. I will go back and finish those ones. I just—it was too much, and also I was not a fifteen-year-old who could appreciate the row. <laughs> I'm probably not a thirty-four-year-old who could appreciate the row, but it's on my Kindle. I
1: didn't—I didn't read the Iliad in the Odyssey until later. In I life. still haven't
0: read the—I've never read the Iliad, and I got halfway through the Odyssey, and then the school year ended, and I had to give the book back. I will—I will read it. I promise.
1: I mean, they're—they're they're good to read, I guess, because those stories, I mean, especially the Odyssey, are just—I mean, they're cultural points of reference. Exactly. But it. Uh, it's it's something I was glad I read as a little bit older adult, and I I am ashamed to say I've never read Walden by Thoreau. Well,
0: neither have I. Because
1: my if my if my dad ever hears this, he might disown me that I've never read. Well, then Walden. So, I Mr.
0: Lance Brett Hall, what is your name? What is your father's name? Brett Hall. Yes. Brett. Brett. Brett Hall. Mr. Brett Hall, we need you to not listen to this episode. We've already said the thing that you're not supposed to hear, but if you could just turn this off right now we'd appreciate it
1: or I should make uh, walls in the next book on my list that I read
0: Yeah, I'll just take care it's of that it's short so. is it? I think it's pretty short okay yeah I just remember Polina Segalova who is now married and has a different name complaining about the beans I don't I, know apparently he wrote about beans I'll
1: have to find out what that means when I here's read the,
0: the other thing I, I I like narrative so while I can read as we've been talking about I like <laughs> narrative But I really enjoy a hero arc in my stories. Like I really enjoy a hero arc, which is funny because I do a lot of plays that do not have a hero arc. Really, which means that a lot of the plays that I work on, people are like, "Oh my god, this is so beautiful!" And then they win Pulitzers, and I'm like,
1: "I don't get it." Through the entire thing, like, "Oh,
0: no, it's it's beautiful, and I love the experience, and I'm so glad that I got that I have that Pulitzer Prize winning play on my resume." But I I don't get it because there's no hero arc. the Joseph Campbell. I really like to have a problem and then the hero and there's a mentor and then he solves the problem and the world is a better place.
1: Sure.
0: Tolkien, Star Wars. Uh where was I oh Thoreau doesn't do that.
1: No, I can't no. imagine he does. No,
0: not at all. It's a philosophy book. It's yeah. a contempl- it's a contemplative book. And at fifteen I don't think I could have sure. understood or appreciated what that was.
1: Yeah.
0: That is my story about how i have lots of books that are unread yeah but no there have been three books all of this started i'm very good at rambling i there are three books that i started and intentionally did not finish which is not me i usually because i believe everything is worth know. all knowledge is worth having everything is worth reading because even if you hated it at least then you know that you hated it and you've learned something but these books were so poorly written that I physically could not finish them, so you're, like so you're the not sentence about, structure.
1: You're not talking about the Odyssey.
0: I am not talking about the Odyssey.
1: Okay. What were the books? You mind saying?
0: Uh, they're they're like. You remember, I'm, no, no, no! I'm just, just curious. No, no, no! I absolutely can remember. I can remember at least two of them. Um, so I have a thing where if it's if it's Beauty and the Beast, I will read it. I will buy it. I will throw <laughs> money at it. All you have to do is label it Beauty and the Beast, and right. I'm like done. Which means that there are a lot of books that I have bought on my Kindle that have nothing whatsoever to do with the actual fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. They just happen to have an ugly man and a beautiful woman and the author has decided to turn that into a Beauty and the Beast tale. By the way, that's not what makes a Beauty and the Beast tale. Not just if you're ugly and one person's beautiful. That's not it. There's like a whole bunch of other elements that we're not going to go into right now because that's a lecture we don't have time for. But this is uh, a common theme in romance novels. And with the advent of Kindle books, self-publishing romance novels makes it real easy. And then they're like a dollar or three dollars on Kindle. And I have a rule that if a book is less than three dollars, I just buy it. If it's on my Kindle and it's less than three dollars, like just throw money at it. All right. And I do try to read them, even though I have like there are literally 14 titles on my Kindle I'm behind on right now because this is what happens. They're all $3, and I buy 12 of them and then can't read them. Um, Which is a second rant that I will get to in a moment. But, so anyway, there were at least two of these self-published romance novels that ostensibly are Beauty and the Beast.
1: So you don't, I I mean, you don't really need to say any more than the words self-published Beauty and the Beast romance novel. And I sort of, I I, I understand.
0: But but at the same time, the reason I keep buying these things is because there's this one author, K.M. Shea, who has written, she wrote a Beauty and the Beast, she self-published, and she wrote a Beauty and the Beast story that was great. Cool. It was fantastic. It's funny if it a
1: diamond like that, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. It
0: was interesting. It was the story, but there was enough of a twist on it that, like, you could tell she actually made the story her own. Cool. Um, and that's what makes it worthwhile. But then there, there are these two other books that I physically had to stop reading because they yeah. were bad. It's the same reason I refuse to read Fifty Shades of Grey. Like usually, oh, I would read I, that just to understand modern culture.
1: I think somewhere, I think Megan got a copy from somebody, and oh. I was like, "Oh, thanks for the doorstop, honey. You picked it up. <laughs> That'd be useful."
0: No, but the reason I haven't read it yet is because I hear that the it's just badly written, and I can handle, I can handle a bad plot i can handle really stupid men which are very common in romance novels (laughs) men don't want to talk about their feelings and they're dumb and it goes on for far too long and i just want to smack them
1: like 450 pages like
0: 450 pages of like the man and the woman just straight up not telling each other that they like each other but then you have to read their descriptions of how they admire each other's i don't know
1: that sounds like torture to me
0: don't read them
1: (laughs) reading descriptions of how somebody likes somebody but just won't tell them I don't know Uh,
0: or they think the other person doesn't like them because they misunderstood the oh just don't don't that was that was
1: that was my life as a teenager like I really like you but I can't tell you because it's society or whatever (laughs) whatever it was I was thinking at the time
0: right so I was never that I've always been very blunt my problem was just that I didn't at the time like I I didn't really have a sexual awakening until like i graduated from college like i knew that i was supposed to so i like went through the motions of liking people and trying to have crushes on people okay but i don't think i genuinely didn't really have a crush on anyone until like
1: i'm just really interested that we've used the word sexual awakening in this podcast <laughs> now That's right.
0: i mean that's we a, can thank zach efron maybe that's a phrase i don't
1: I think would come up
0: no, who did I have my sexual awakening for? Oh, you know what it was.
1: Is this, what, what's the rating on this? I just want to know before we head, before <laughs> well, we, we head down this Well, we haven't, we haven't cursed way. yet. No, we haven't. So,
0: I think we don't have an explicit rating yet. <laughs> okay. Guys, this is a confession. I'm not going to lie. So, my sexual awakening, not where I like had crushes on people, but I might have learned about sex through X-Files and Les Miserab fan fiction. That I would read in the IRC on breaks between classes. Lance doesn't really know how to process this information. I'm not sure what's going
1: You said um, X-Files and Les Miserables. No, they weren't.
0: No, it wasn't Slash. Like, it, Well, it was sometimes Slash. Well,
1: no. X-Files.
0: X-Files fanfiction and Les, and Les Mis fanfiction. So the X-Files fanfiction would be like it was the Scully and Mulder have sex. Was,
1: it was the fanfiction part that threw me off. I was oh, like, yeah. okay, I guess you can... Could learn something from, from X Files. Oh, there's a few a few episodes. No, no, no. It was
0: the fan fiction.
1: Right. And then I was like, oh, I'm sure you can learn something from from Victor Hugo. I'm sure you can learn something about sex from him.
0: But yeah, no, it's the, the fan f- fiction. The, the fan but, like fic Javert part would get it on with many made me, people.
1: Made me sort of real. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know how to process I'm this. such a nerd. I'm going to. I mean, I have to thank you, Katrina, because now. <laughs> Now I have something to do on the flight back to L.A. tomorrow. No, no,
0: fanfiction is a dark, scary place to go on the internet. Like, sometimes it's lovely and happy, and then sometimes you find the Hunger Games Beauty and the Beast crossover fanfic, and it's not even finished yet, which means at some point in time I have to go back to the internet to see if the author finished it. And it was so bad. I had to, like, send out an SOS. I texted my friend and I was like, help, what have I done? And she's like, I'll mobilize
1: the troops. There's a, for some of you, if there's a short filmmaker watching, <laughs> there's now, there should now be a short film entitled Back to the Internet. <laughs> you could do so much with that. No, but I, I was going to say, I, I have to thank you because I, I have, it's a four-ish hour flight back to L.A. And now I have something to do on that flight is to contemplate. The phrase X-Files and "La Miserable fanfiction.
0: Well, they don't. Gonna, I want to make it very clear. This is not X-Files and Le Mis fanfiction. It's not like Mulder and Scully, Find, in Javert, the sewers, and Valchon. <laughs> like, that, that'd although, be, I wonder if someone did write that. That'd be cool, like. That actually would be really interesting. The, the two
1: of them running through the sewers under Paris. Yeah. Seeing what's down it. that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Now I have something else to do on this
0: floor. No, now why? you have you can write I the can X-Files Lay is fanfic <laughs> that we all didn't know I once submitted a Miz fanfic as a paper in my sophomore English class for Dr. Cool. How'd that go? And it was accepted. Nice. Yep.
1: High high five. There we go. <laughs>
0: Going going back to an, <laughs> earl-
1: to an earlier theme though, because we're we're ostensibly an IMSA podcast. The two theater kids sitting sitting here. Um,
0: well, you just went to IMSA to talk about podcasting with Kathy Steed, I, right? I did,
1: yeah. Who's, I also
0: did that, by the way. Yeah,
1: no, it's it's great. It was fun to be home. Uh, it's yeah. always it's always good to go back and see what's the same, what's different. The I, have you seen the I N two? You saw the yes, I N two because you were yes. there. Yeah, she gave very me a whole cool. tour
0: of the new science wing yeah. and
1: very cool. Yeah i i'm a little sad that the greenhouse is gone because i have lots of fond memories in the greenhouse during the winter air oh, with it. other planets oh so on the science labs um are
0: i know what you're talking about yeah yeah mm-hmm. so
1: i was i was sad that was gone but it's him so things so things are always changing so mm-hmm. it was fun to see what was different and um we're planning on being back in december ish sometime back in chicago and um when i first went to in2 um um
0: is it in2 or is it into i don't know i always thought it was into to be like we're going into the brain or i don't i don't know i thought it was INTO. i thought it was
1: in2 because absolutely everything at imsa is an acronym i mean that's fair acronym is an acronym at imsa
0: i know Hopefully, you also know. since in theory, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably went to IMSA.
1: Or if you, or if you didn't, we thank you for listening anyway.
0: <laughs> or you had a child, Mister Brett Hall. You're not <laughs> supposed to be listening right now. Went to IMSA. We told you.
1: Um, by now, if my dad's listening to this, by now I've read I've read Walden. Wink. We've
0: stopped. We've paused the podcast in Wink. order for Lance to read Walden. It's
1: actually two weeks later. We paused in there and I've read I
0: it. flew out to LA in order to continue this conversation with Lance.
1: And that's the magic of editing,
0: really. <laughs> yeah. Don't but, and, trust anything you get on the internet, you guys.
1: Including this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, no, but if I,
0: anyone can find an X-Files lame is fanfic, please send it to I me. I think that's
1: totally doable. Uh, Mulder and Scully in the, in the catacombs beneath yeah. Paris, that's totally something they the, do. I don't
0: know. What are they doing? Searching for Valjean?
1: I don't There's got to be something spooky down there that's kind of unexplained. The I should totally do a write-up of this and submit it, because there's another season of X-Files coming.
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's now an X-Files kids book. Really? Yeah. There's like... I have a... I'm reaching for my phone... And showing Lance a picture of the cover of the X Files Kids Book. Children's book. Children's book. That I found in Barnes and Noble. Yeah.
1: Earth Children Are Weird is the the subtitle. That's very cool.
0: And it's basically like Mulder and Scully have a backyard camp out. That's cool. And Mulder keeps thinking that he finds aliens and Scully keeps being like, No, that's just the light from behind the garage. Mulder, you're an idiot. I mean that's how every episode went, right?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, the general idea. Yeah. Yeah. Believer skeptic. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: You were saying doing something on that flight. Uh, What were we talking about?
1: Oh, well, I was, I was gonna say because as IMSA alums, we are, we are members of into IN2, so we can stop by anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Britta McKenna had me once. She said, "We've got coffee," so
0: yeah she offered got, me a coke
1: they've got wi-fi and coffee and it's you know it's a cool space to kind of go back go back home and hang out so i uh no i'm i hope i'm gonna be back in uh in december and go and kind of hang out because it's a nice that's a nice environment just to sit down and get some work done i mean mm-hmm. i'm not gonna be rapid prototyping anything probably um but i'm sure you could build a pretty wicked paper airplane if you got a mental block anyway so you know yeah they yeah. do
0: have 3d printers Yes. Add into If you're an alumni and haven't been back yet, it's pretty sweet. Pretty
1: awesome. So, yeah, yeah. you should go back.
0: Also, what was the thing I was just thinking? Oh, oh, oh! I mentioned to Kathy Sieg that she needs to get Kylie. She either needs to get students during their student work hours to um, go back through all the pseudo tapes, and which I tried to start doing, and it was a project that took far longer than I thought it would. But I went back through all the old pseudo tapes, which, if you're a new alum, pseudo was this thing where basically... It's only fun to watch if you were actually there to watch these old pseudo tapes.
1: My hand is over my heart right now. Lance was
0: a president of pseudo.
1: I was a pseudo president.
0: He was, and he uh, anyway. It was just this thing. It was like this improv, the thing. We got up and we sang songs. It's hard to describe
1: because you can say you know it's an open mic kind of improv night, and that's, you know, that's the gist of it. But it was uh, kind of whole, whole expression of IMSA kind of subculture. I mean, there were. Um, I don't know. It it felt like it was it was improv and it was open mic, and you could do you could do games and you could do sketches or you could sing a song or you could get up and just do whatever you wanted to do. Um, but it kind of felt like if uh, if an open mic night were a meme, yeah, before memes were a thing, yeah, that's because there were because there were uh, there were rhythms to it and there were patterns and it was uh kind of hard to describe.
0: We ended every session. Because we tore the acapella apart, and then we had to put it back together. And every time we did that, we played "It's the End of the World as We Know It" by R.E.M. REM yeah,
1: and
0: we would just dance in the middle. It was yep. exciting. What was my point? What was my point?
1: Um, you were talking about how oh, it was Dr. Your- Kylie. Yes,
0: I suggested that she record because at the end of Pseudo, Dr. Kylie would tell a story, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he still does this because he's Dr. Kylie. Um, if we there, could go back
1: I don't and think record Mars anymore is it no. back
0: up again no I don't think so okay but if You're you can go back it? to the old pseudotapes and record audio get the audio of that of those Kylie stories oh, or cool. just put Kylie in a recording room and have him tell these stories probably in front of a live audience because he needs the back and forth but like I have audio of the killer Jurassic swung from Hell st- story which is one of
1: the one of the best I've heard him We're, tell yeah, yeah but
0: remember the one where he was in the airplane and he set off the fire alarm. I don't remember this one. It's my favorite Kylie story. And then there's also, I mean, and then there's the old standbys. Anyone who has been a student of Dr. Kylie's in the last 17 years has to have heard the one about how he dropped aluminum on his foot or how there was a cockroach in his New York apartment. Right?
1: I, I'm sure I've heard these, but it's it's been a while. So it's been this is yeah. what I'm
0: saying. It's been a while. Yeah. As an alumni. If you, if someone would put together a CD, oh my God, I can't believe I just said those two letters in conjunction. Maybe not a CD, maybe like a digital download.
1: Uh, an iTunes album. An for the iTunes 20, for the album. Twenty-first century
0: <laughs> of Kylie stories. And I mentioned this to Kathy Sieg I was like, "That's a fundraiser right there. That'll pay gonna, for your senior prom." I,
1: I pay five ninety nine for that on iTunes. Right.
0: Yeah. I'd pay twelve ninety nine for that.
1: Well, twelve ninety nine. There it is.
0: Boom, <laughs> guys! This is how you're gonna pay for your senior prom, class of 2018. That sounds great. Oh god, class of 2018. We're so old. We're
1: not. We're not old yet. We're but, older
0: than Jesus.
1: But the numbers, the numbers get really high, and I think for our generation specifically, it's a little deceptive. Oh, yeah. Because well, we think like okay, um, we got to IMSA in 1998, right? Yeah. And next year, I mean, next year is 2018, and I mean, you know, we're supposed to be the ones good at math, but in my head, I go, "Oh, 1998. That was ten years. ago. Oh no, Lance, no, that was that
0: was twenty. It was ago. twenty
1: years ago. So yeah, the whole the whole 1999 to 2000. The rounding the rounding effect. I don't know. See, I
0: feel like it's easier because we graduated in '01. So That's literally, true. all I have to do is subtract it's one number. Yeah, from 2018, which is when the next class will be graduating, and I'm like, that was 17. 17 I, years behind us. Yeah,
1: but I think of, like, uh, 2000, I don't know, 2007? I guess it sounds, it sounds longer ago now.
0: No, but it's still, I'm, the, there's a part of me that still thinks I'm in the middle of the mid-2000s.
1: Yeah. why The rounding, I my head, the rounding yeah works differently, because it's like, oh, you know, 2001 was only 10, oh, no, it was almost 20 years ago. We're pushing 20 years, so. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: hear you.
1: I don't think people that you know, went to high school in I don't know the sixties or seventies. I don't think they have. I don't know. I'm sure it plays games with everybody's heads because. But still, like if you say, "Oh, we're in the 90s or you know, we're in the two thousands, and you you went to high school in the sixties or seventies. I don't know that. The math.
0: The, you're right. The math is it is weird that we have to like carry it over. I don't, in
1: my head, it makes a difference, but. Yeah. A, you know, a year's a year at the end of the day, but in my in my head, it's harder. Mm -hmm. To sort of say, oh, 1998 was, next year would be 20 years when we got to So Since we
0: became sophomores. Yep. Crazy. It is crazy. Can you believe we've been talking for an hour? It's been 59 minutes.
1: And we haven't even said anything yet. How about that?
0: (laughs) I don't know. You talked a lot about narrative medicine. Well, I hope that was
1: interesting. And storytelling.
0: What I do think is interesting is that you have started a business about storytelling and you're bringing this into narrative medicine. And what I have realized, I did not go into theater thinking that I was invested in storytelling. <laughs> I really just wanted to do musicals because four-year-old me was in love with Gordon McRae. Um, that's not even true. I mean, I was in love with Gordon McRae, and if you don't know who Gordon McRae is, Google it. And he's not going to look attractive. But <laughs> when don't you're you, four, you
1: have to Google him now. <laughs> Google he this was very no huge attractive man. All right? man.
0: But he was the movie Curly. Look at photos of this and ugly so guy online. And so he's not ugly. He's just a product of the 1950s, which I think is when they made the movie Oklahoma. I don't know.
1: Oh, that's what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, he
0: was Curly in the movie of Oklahoma. Okay. And like he was my first. Him and Dick Van Dyke were my two first loves. Oh, I love
1: Dick Van Dyke But too. mostly Gordon McRae. I love Dick Van Dyke.
0: I love Curly. Yeah. Even though Oklahoma has its really boring parts and it's also very problematic songs. Also the Dream Ballet, which is my number. Just fast forward through that. What was my point?
1: I don't know, I blocked out you were talking about <laughs>
0: musicals. <laughs> oh, my point is that I've realized in the last five years that storytelling is why I'm in theater. Really? Or store yeah. It's what I'm looking for in pretty much anything I want to read or well, I don't write that often and if I do, it's mostly because there's no one for mostly me to talk ex, to, so I have X-Files to write in my fic. journal. I don't write X-Files <laughs> I've never written an X-Files fanfic, to be clear. I have written a Beauty and the Beast fanfic. I have written a Les Miz fanfic. I have that, never that I written believe. an X-Files fanfic.
1: So when did you when did you realize it was really about the storytelling? I'm curious.
0: Oh, I don't know. Maybe like five years ago. Really?
1: What, yeah. what brought it on? Anything specific? I have no
0: idea. Really? Probably I was reading a self-help book and thinking about how to take over the world this is a constant in my life really yeah about once every month I look at grad schools to go back <laughs> to school uh, and then I decide not to because it's stupid expensive and I don't want to take the time out of my stage management career to go back to school yeah so
1: I, I you know I could go get a master's in narrative medicine or I could in theory convince somebody to give me a PhD and in medical, ner- whatever, and I think to myself, you know what? I, everything I, I don't know, I don't think I can learn in in grad school or in a right. PhD program.
0: Whereas I, I'm certainly, I'm never going to go to grad school for stage management because, frankly, I could teach, like, there's no point. I'm a working professional well, stage you, manager. There's nothing I can learn in the classroom.
1: You have a, um, you have a bachelor's, right? I have, I have a, a bachelor's. An MFA? Okay. I have
0: a bachelor's. Yeah. But... Because I want to teach, and oftentimes they're looking for a master's, I keep looking at master's programs in either arts administration. Okay. Because I'm very fascinated in the way the theater industry works. And the way I mentioned this earlier the way we pay for theater, the way for all of that. And right. I feel like there is stuff to be learned in the classroom. I could also just learn it by volunteering at a theater. Um, and then I also want to get my PhD in folklore and mythology. Very cool. Which, again, I feel like there is stuff to be learned in the classroom.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, about storytelling. It was, uh, I found a copy of Vladimir Propp's Morphology oh, yeah, in the Folktale yeah, yeah. just by accident. And I was like, this is fascinating. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things um, you know, from the more linguistic and cultural ends of things to talk about storytelling. So, very interesting stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So now I'm, my plan has always been to go to Harvard to get my PhD in folklore and mythology. But now. N- I'm thinking about maybe looking at the University of Chicago because that means I wouldn't have to move Indiana University has a a program they actually offer a PhD in folklore and mythology really? yeah Chicago and uh, U of C and Harvard I'd have to get it through the comparative literature department
1: which you could do worse you know I could
0: do worse but the problem is that both Indiana and Boston I can't I'd have to move there I can't commute from Chicago yeah and now I have a boyfriend, and he really likes it when I live with him, even though I'm not going to live with him for three and a half months. Sorry, honey. But he, has to, I'd he has
1: to come to New York.
0: Yeah, he's going to come for Thanksgiving during the holidays. We're going to yeah. see Santa.
1: Darn! Oh, that's fun.
0: Yeah, and then I'll fly back for Christmas Day, and we'll see Star Wars. Oh,
1: ha! Good
0: <laughs> priorities.
1: Talk about talk about storytelling. Good, good, good.
0: Talk about storytelling. Talk about kind of its own religion.
1: Uh, I I don't know how many people, but a not small amount of people put Jedi as their religion on. That's amazing. On their uh, on forums and tax returns. Oh,
0: and things. speaking right. of boyfriend, he's literally walking through literally walked right? to the door. Hello, hey Nick, Nick. Say hello to the leader, the listener, the leadership. I guess we're technically the leadership.
1: Well, and and certainly our listeners are. Wink.
0: <laughs> the listenership, the viewership, the readers of our podcast.
1: Hello, readers of podcasts. Yes, this
0: is my boyfriend Nick. He's an architect, as mentioned earlier.
1: This is probably a good time to sign off.
0: Yeah, we probably should. All right. Right now. we should get dinner.
1: Dinner sounds great.
0: Yeah, if you're listening, you should also get dinner, unless it's breakfast. Unless
1: and they get breakfast. it's 6 a.m., in which case, go make yourself some eggs.
0: Yes, or yeah. have breakfast for dinner, or have dinner for breakfast. You do you. You can
1: <laughs> you can put steak, bacon, and or eggs in any meal. So okay. if it's early. Uh, you get some dinner for breakfast, and if it's late, you get some breakfast for dinner.
0: Perfect. But you do you. Let's go take a picture of my closet.
1: (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.